The following episode of Bookmark was first broadcast January 23rd, 2024. Good afternoon and welcome to Bookmarked on KCSM.org, your true community radio station, where today the book under discussion is My Brilliant Friend by Elena Ferrante, and my guest is Gary Borden. Uh, my, let's see, I have, I have my description of Gary here, English major, astute reader, artist, poet, and organizer of Friday morning walks. What else should I say about you? <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, all right, Elena Ferrante is the pseudonymous Italian author of seven novels, including four New York Times bestsellers, The Beach at Night, an illustrated book for children, and F- Frantumaglia, this is Priscilla's fake Italian, uh, <laughs> a collection of letters, literary essays, and interviews. Her fiction has been translated into over 40 languages and been shortlisted for, uh, for the MAN Booker International Prize. This book is the first of the Neapolitan novels, which are a four-book series. Her anonymity has generated lots of discussion. Uh, one source I looked at claimed that she remains anonymous because her work depicts the mafia. Um, that must be in later books. This is one of, of no part uh, the some of the characters in here. I think the uh, oh, the Solano family. The Solaro. The, yeah, the, the 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 kind of rough rough and tough brothers. Yeah, I could see are that. Are accused of well, their grandfather was a camorist, and a camorist is a the camora is the Calabrian mafia. Oh, yeah, I okay. didn't know that either. Hmm. Uh, but well, it doesn't surprise it. me actually. Yeah. Um, so there, people have tried to identify her. Uh, there even was a, a reporter who said, okay, this, this is, you know, this person is her. And then somebody else said, well, no, it's this woman's husband that's really writing it. And then somebody else said, that's what always happens when a woman is a successful writer. (laughs) And other people said, it's a terrible violation of her privacy to identify her. And other people said why she's a public figure, people have a right to know who she is, etc. right? I don't know if you read up uh, on any of I that I read stuff. a little bit about yeah, that, and yeah. I think, well, I feel like it has to be a woman for a lot of different reasons. Yeah, I kind of thought, I definitely <laughs> felt that too. She, she has claimed in interviews that she was born in Naples, she, that she's the daughter of a seamstress, and that she has three sisters. Uh, her, she, her knowledge of classical literature, which you see some in here, uh, has also led critics to claim that she must have studied literature so that maybe she's a literature professor somewhere. And I'm going to do a very brief summary, but stuff about the plot will come out, I think, if that's yes. okay with you. Uh, it chronicles the lives of two friends, Elena and Lila. They are growing up in the 1950s and very early 60s. Uh, they're talking a lot about Jacqueline Kennedy at the end. Um, and the, uh, they live in a working-class neighborhood in Naples. It's narrated in the first person by Elena, 
and there's a lot of emphasis on the relationship between the two friends, but it also, there's all the relationships among nine different families. She has a list of them in the beginning of the, of the book, which certainly helps uh, because all these people live in this neighborhood together and have, have history, have relationships, uh, and there's, there's, there's a lot to, to explore or think about. It ends with uh, Leela's wedding at age 17. And I do think you suggested this one, so you want to explain why? <laughs> I don't really have a very good explanation. My brother actually uh, texted me and said, I'm reading this really good book. I really enjoy it. Why don't you look into it? So I thought, why not? And uh, when I read all the reviews, I thought, my goodness, this has got rave reviews, and it should be really great. And and I believe it's a, a movie or an ongoing oh, series. It's a it's a TV series. Actually, I've had streaming. People, I've, yeah, I've had people recommend it to me. The the series. Right, and I have not seen the series, but now that I've read the first book, and I realized after I got the book that it's one of four. Yeah, it's one of so four. It's a tetralogy. I'm a little committed now. Oh. I guess I'll read the other three. Oh, you will, huh? Yeah, I, I, I kind of enjoyed it. I think I enjoyed it a little bit more than you, so this will be yeah, a very yeah. interesting discussion. Yeah, I kind of... And, and I think maybe maybe since we're talking about the tetralogy, maybe this is the time to talk about the... Uh, and I guess it's the first part of a frame tale at the very beginning uh, in which the the much older, in her 60s, Elena um, has a conversation with uh, Rino, who is uh, Lila's son, about Lila has disappeared. You know, and right. Th this is, and again, these women are, are older now. They've known like, each other for decades. They, yeah, yeah, they've known each other for decades. Um, and we don't know where she is, but it ends with uh, Elena writing, We'll see who wins this time, I said to myself. I turned on the computer and began to write all the details of our story, everything that still remained in our memory. And the two sections of this book are childhood and adolescence. And so, it, as I said, it ends with the marriage of the 17-year-old Leela. So presumably the other four will take them all the way to into old age and maybe we'll find out what happened to Leela. So if you read it, you, you know, tell me. Okay. Okay. I'll yeah. let you know. All right. <laughs> and I'll leave all right. out all the horrific details of poverty and yeah. life in, uh, after war, World War II in Italy. Yeah. Uh, evidently the whole country was just crushed, but, uh, I hope I'm not, uh, bringing this up too soon, but, uh, I think that, uh, is it Leela is how you pronounce That's uh, That's how I'm Raffaella. pronouncing it. Okay. Leela and Elena had a very weird relationship in that it would kept going back and forth, which to me made it really interesting. It was almost like they're a yin and yang kind of yeah. thing, but they would fluctuate too, like yin yeah. and yang does. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, in the early, when they were very young, uh, Elena says that she was the one that was very timid and uh, very shy, and Leela was the one that would dare to do anything. 
And uh, as they grow older, and we can talk about this a, a little bit later, I guess, uh, the relationships are constantly fluctuating where one of them yeah. is doing better than the other one. And in fact, in the book, in the, let's see, she says, I like to, Elena says, I like to discover connections, especially concerning Leela. I traced lines between moments and events distant from one another. I established convergences and divergences. In that period, it became a daily exercise. The better off I had been, the worse off Leela had been, and et cetera, et cetera. That's, I don't a, that's a very good description, actually, of the relationship between them, which is quite complicated. And I think we'll, we, I want to get back to that a little bit, but I did want to start with the setting, which you already alluded to, that it is, you know, and I don't know how it, how it, it I assume it changes as Italy becomes prosperous again through the tetralogy, but right now uh, it is really harrowing. They are economically disadvantaged. They've been through war, you know, uh, and it starts with, this is, we lived in a wo world, and this is on 32, in which children and adults were often wounded. Blood flowed from the wounds. They festered, and sometimes people died. One of the daughters of Signora Assunto, the fruit and vegetable seller, had stepped on a nail and died of tetanus. Sign uh, Signora Spagnuolo's youngest child had died of croup. A cousin of mine, age of 20, had gone one morning to move some rubble, and that night was dead crushed, the blood pouring out of his ears and mouth. My mother's father had been killed when he fell from a scaffolding at a building site. The father of Signor Pelusa was missing an arm. The lathe had caught him unawares, and this goes on and on and on. Uh, the entire Melchiore family had died clinging to one another, screaming with fear in a bombardment. Old Signorina Colorinda had died in inhaling gas instead of air. Giannino, who was in fourth grade when we were in first, had died one day when he came across a bomb and touched it. Our world was like that, full of words that killed. Croup, tetanus, typhus, gas, war, lathe, rubble, work, bombardment, bomb, tuberculosis, infection. With these words and those years, I bring back the many fears that accompanied me all my life. And that's very depressing, but for some reason I was really fascinated by that because I think, in my mind anyway, their poverty plus all the horrific uh, dangers of their world explained a lot of why there was so much violence. And yes. they really get into the violence about it, and, and I could read a little bit about that, too, if we have time. You can if you want. I mean, that's that was what I was going to talk about next, anyway. Uh, well, uh, she said, I feel no nostalgia for our childhood. It was full of violence. Every sort of thing happened at home and outside every day, but I don't recall ever having thought that the life we had there was particularly bad. Life was like that. That's all. We grew up with the duty to make it difficult for others before they made it difficult to us. Of course, I would have liked the nice manners that the teacher and the priest preach, but I felt that these ways were not suited to our neighborhood, even if you were a girl. The women fought among themselves more than the men. They pulled each other's hair. They hurt each other. To cause pain was a disease. As a child, I imagined tiny, almost invisible animals that arrived in the neighborhood at night. They came from ponds, from abandoned train cars, from the stinking grasses, from the frogs, the salamanders. They entered the water and the food in the air, making our mothers and grandmothers as angry as starving dogs. 
They were more severely infected than the men because while men were always getting furious, they calmed down in the end, but the women who appeared to be silent, acquiescent, when they were angry, they flew into a rage that had no end. And that's really saying something because the men in this yeah, book uh, is it, it, are yeah. extremely violent, not yeah. only to other men, but to the women and children oh, as yes. well. Oh, yes, there's uh, uh, Leela's father throws her through a window at one point. And breaks uh, her arm when breaks, she lands. Yeah. And breaks her arm, yes. But um, then he felt sorry <clears throat> afterwards. Well, yeah. <laughs> and, well, they always, you know, there's extreme <laughs> violence, everything from rock throwing, which starts out to actual, there's an actual murder. There's lots of fist fights. I mean, the, one of the things I remembered is the encounter when a group of people from the neighborhood, including Elena and Lila, both men and young boys and girls, young men and women, go travel to a, a much more affluent neighborhood and are walking, and they encounter a rowing crew, mm -hmm. young men in white and they're carrying oars, and they manage to get the men manage to get into an altercation. They meet the guys again who threaten to beat them with oars, and they're only saved when a couple of guys from the neighborhood come up in a car and go for the tire iron. You know, I mean, that sort of thing happens all the time. Mm -hmm. The fireworks competition. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. It ended up with real gunfire. It ends up with real gunfire, yeah, because, you know, they... They're losing. Our, well, they're losing. We won. No, we didn't. Uh, and that's within the neighborhood. These, yes. This isn't yes. outside the neighborhood. Those are the families fighting yeah. within their own neighborhood. They, they all seem to be taken up by the fireworks. They were waiting for their war of men, uh, says Elena, disappointed that because she's kind of dressed up and wanting some male attention and not getting it because they're all into the, into the fireworks and their war of men. Don't you think <laughs> that maybe... I can't help wondering if somewhere some Neapolitan reviewer, when this first came out, said, you're giving us a bad name. I mean, this seems like such a terrible place. I mean, you do understand that there, there are economic pressures and that, you know, they're, uh, they've been subjected to war and, and all of these things. But, you know, they're, they're not, we were talking before the show about, a, re a review or, or a, a blurb that's on the cover. It says, a large, captivating, amiably peopled Bildungsroman, uh, coming-of-age novel. And I would say, it's not very amiably peopled. No, it's not very amiable, but I, my guess is that that must have been the way it really was, uh, or else they would, the people of Naples would have said, no, it wasn't like that. Uh, I don't know if they would have said, no, it wasn't like that, but they would have said, hey, this is not a side of, our, of, of us or a piece of our history that we really want the world to, to look at. You know? and, and I don't know if that's, that's true or not, but uh, it certainly seems kind of, kind of painful. I mean, I wondered if this is why she, one of the reasons why she hides her identity is that she is very frank about that could this, be but you know, the actions of, are so specific it makes me think they really did happen oh I mean, yeah I think so too and I one of my first reactions to this was this is not a novel this is a memoir uh that's true it is kind of like it, that it, it feels like that I agree it does yeah. feel like that and another thing about this is the I, I think the reason this really rough environment seems so sort of distressing is we see it through a child. Now, you just read the passage in which she says, well, this was just our life, you know, uh, but she, the, the passage I read, she does talk about being afraid, and the, there, 
their children, they have no control over what happens. You know, they just sit there and, and watch while the adults do all this, uh, this violent, frightening stuff. And I, I wondered if you had any thoughts on the way she does that. I thought the child's perspective was brilliant, uh, really. I just wondered if you had any thoughts on that. I, well, I, I just tend to agree with you, which isn't very exciting for a discussion. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, it just seems that when she's talking about the violence and the horrors and the poverty that she saw as a child, it just seems so real to me that I have to think that that's what really happened and the coping mechanisms that people have, especially children, they, they don't have a choice. So Yeah, exactly. Uh, but, but, you, but you see it from the child's point of view, and so it is presented to you as the reader as just, okay, this is just what happened, which almost makes it more harrowing than if we had an adult point of view. So this just happened, and, and it was terrible, or this is how I reacted, or it's just... That's that's just what happened. And, mm. and and she did write in here when she was very young, up and down, it seemed to us that we were always going towards something terrible that had existed before us, yet had always been waiting for us just for us. Children don't know the meaning of yesterday, of the day before yesterday, or even of tomorrow. Everything is this, now, the street, this is, the mm -hmm. doorway, this is, the stairs, this is mama, this is papa. Uh, it, yeah, a great, great, great quote, and that's, yeah, that's exactly what it I mean. was really you, wonderful. You are right there with this stuff, and you, you know you don't have any any perspective. Every once in a while, she will say, you know, oh, this is how I saw it then, and I'm older now. But it's it's rare. You yeah, know, she's most, usually right there in the present. Yeah, uh, definitely. Um, I and a, there were a passage I tried to find, but yeah, but could not. Uh, just to just to wind up. A, a, the discussion of the child's perspective a little bit, and then we'll, we can kind of talk a little more about their relationship. Um, is when she talks about before, how the adults are all concerned about before, and they are, you oh, know, yeah. so and so was a fascist, so and so was a communist, so and so made made money on the black market, uh, and then there's the grandfather uh, that we were mentioning before, who was a camarist, which is a, a a member of this Calabrian mafia, and on and on this goes, you know, and it's it's all this all this awful stuff, but it's mostly just stuff that that grown-ups talk about. Although as Leela gets older, she goes through a phase in which she sees everybody in the neighborhood in terms of their of their history. Yes, this one used that to do was this. Really, and this that. one was bludgeoned, and this one administered castor oil, and this one turned in a lot of people, and that one starved his own mother. You know, on and on and on. She, yeah, an attempt to come to terms with it. And they really knew their neighbors. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. All right. We are about up on our first break, which I think we can take now. Get ready, San Marcos. 104.1 KZSM and Price Center presents the inaugural San Marcos Music Awards Ceremony. Friday, January 26th at 7 p.m. in downtown San Marcos at the historic Price Center with the red carpet starting at 5.45 p.m. 
Come show your support for our local music scene as the community names the first 20 winners at the SMMAs. Hosted by DJ Alpha with performances by DJ Sunset, Siren Strings, Haliana Finley, Bogan Villa, and more. General admission includes five food and drink tickets, raffles, giveaways, vendors, and VIP packages available. Sponsored by Gumby's, Big Man's Kitchen, Miracle Leaf, Kit Massage, Serendipity Wines, Twin Liquors, Martian Sound, and What's On Your Mind Design. Tickets available at kzsm.org SMMA, and we will see y'all there. Bookmarked is brought to you in part by the Whitliff Collections. Now on exhibition, I Pray You Survive. Riding on the Edge. The Whitliff explores how our best writers have personally confronted life or death situations, from war to pandemics, race riots, and murder, to create their groundbreaking work. On display now at the Whitliff Collections at Texas State University. For more information, please contact us at thewhitliffcollections.txstate.com. All right, welcome back to Bookmark, where we are talking about. Elena Ferrante's novel, My Brilliant Friend. We are talking about it with Gary Borden. And the opinions expressed on this broadcast are those of the host and guest only, uh, and not those of kcsm.org or KCSM or its parent corporation, SMTXCRA. And you are listening to KCSM 104.1 FM and kcsm.org. And we, as, we, as we mentioned already... This is a novel about a friendship, um, and you, I thought you did a good job, Gary, of kind of describing that there's sort of yin and yang, and if one of them, if one of them is into school, sometimes the other one is alienated from it. Uh, that's not always the case, but they, they tend to make a kind of balance. Their names are even similar, where I'm using Elena's full name, but it seems like her, she's often called by her nickname, Linu, so it'd be Linu and Lila which you said confused you when you were reading the book, actually. And I was wondering if that was deliberate because they do kind of blend in and converge and then go apart and then converge again. Yeah, Yeah, they compete in school and before, and the way she tells it, did you notice that? There's a defining experience that brings them together. They are sitting by the wind, and I guess that they're sitting on the, on the ground or the sidewalk by a low window that goes into the cellar, each playing with dolls. And they play with the dolls sort of together and sort of separately, and their dolls play, talk to each other. And when they, there's a moment when they trade and Leela drops Elena's doll into the cellar. On purpose. On purpose, yeah. which Elena immediately does the same with uh, Leela's doll, which then they... they and that's the beginning, weirdly, of their friendship. But that, the, she starts telling that, and then there's a long digression of the, the two of them competing in school. Did you notice that? Yes. And then we go back, yes. and we finally find out what happened to the cellar and the dolls and, and the whole thing. And I wondered, uh, so they observe each other? And I, and I don't know, I didn't know quite what to make of that. Well, you mean of that incident or yeah, of that, the fact that, that they're... The, 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 the way it's told, of the digression, you know, of right. the, or, or of the incident for that matter. Well, the incident, the basement happened to be a man that they were both scared of, and uh, yeah. Leela dares Elena to go with her to try to find the dolls in the basement, and 
Elena would have never done that on her own, but because her friend dared her, she was kind of attracted to the, I want to say the badness, the bad behavior the, that Leela had. And then again, we're also talking about not just their attitudes and their actions, but also their appearances. Because at the first of the book, at a very young age, Elena was very attractive. She was blonde. She was small. She was very pretty. And Leela was a scrawny kid with messy hair and not really that attractive. But then as we read on, uh, that whole that, yeah, changes. Uh, poor poor uh, Elena develops acne and gains weight, uh, which later she gets over. But yeah, but that kind of thing tends to go back and forth as well. You know, yeah. um, you're right uh, with their appearance. Um, and they, their friendship, I thought about it. I thought about this as a depiction of friendship. And I guess it's, it's, and I thought, oh, it's not realistic, but I was comparing it to friendship as it as I experience it now. And then when I look back and thought about friendship when I was th- this young, that element of competition and and uh, uh, and conflict as well as attraction seems that seems pretty typical or of young women's. Or do you think it, so? I think so. Yes, I agree yeah, with you on yeah, that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I remember visiting visiting a friend who had had moved away, um, someone who someone with, with whom I'm still friends. But she had she had moved, and in her new life had become a debutante. And I went to see her, and she told me all about being a debutante, and uh, <laughs> you know, innocently in a way, because that was what her life was. Right. But I remember thinking, hmm, you know. Um, Later, she told me she hated it, but but, any, but anyway. <laughs> but you yeah. were jealous for a brief yeah, moment. Yeah, but that kind of thing, uh, yeah. It's, it's, I, I had similar experiences. I had a friend that got to be a model for the fall fashion at our Abilene, Texas, whoopie-doo department store, and I, which, and I was so jealous. I was going, why didn't they ask me? They only asked her, yeah. you know, and that there, kind of thing. But there's, there are m- moments of... More when Leela is cruel to Elena, like the initial dropping the doll in the in the in the cellar, and there there's a moment when they they spend a day oh, playing hooky, yes, basically, and they try to go to the sea, um, and it is uh, it is Leela surprisingly who wants to go back. It starts raining and they're soaked, and. Um, uh, Elena gets gets beaten gets beaten by her mother who tells her who makes her father beat her as well, um, and and all night I tried to understand what had really happened. We were supposed to go to the sea and we hadn't gone. I had been punished for nothing. <laughs> A mysterious inversion of attitudes had occurred. I, despite the rain, would have continued on the road. Uh, I felt far from everything and everyone. Leela had abruptly repented of her own plan. She had given up the sea. Um, and uh, she later they meet. She discovered the bruises on my arms and asked what had happened. All they did was beat you? What should they have done? They're still sending you to study Latin? I looked at her in bewilderment. Was it possible? She had taken me with her, hoping that as a punishment, my parents would not send me to middle school? Or had she brought me back in such a hurry so that I would avoid that punishment? 
or I wonder today that she wanted different moments, both things. Yes, and Leela's character is so interesting in that because she's very daring, but then she'll often do things that are so rash and in the moment that even she will backtrack and go, oh, I, I didn't want to do that. Because they were walking as young girls outside their neighborhood, which it sounds like in Italy back in those days was not a very yeah. smart thing to do. And, and it's, it, it's treated almost comically. I mean, a, man, a man exposes himself to the right. and, and Elena says, well, old, old, old Mr. So-and-so does that and then back, back in the neighborhood, you know, right. just, uh, uh, forget it. Um, but there's a, there's a kind of magic in, in some ways in, oh yeah, I know, I, was, I know the passage. Uh, Leela even engages in, in, in violence. Um, there's a moment when uh, Marcello and uh, Michele Ooh. with the, the Solaras, the, the vaguely suspect people, and they drive around in their car picking up women or trying to do so. Uh, and they're, they're mildly harassing uh, Elena and um, make her break, drop and break her, her mother's bracelet, which she's wearing. Uh, he was, calm down, I'll fix it for you. He was smiling. He tried again to take my wrist as if to establish a familiarity that would soothe me. It was an instant. Leela, half the size of him, pushed him against the car and whipped the shoemaker's knife under his throat. She said calmly in dialect, touch her again and I'll show you what happens. Um, and Marcello, Michele called out, don't worry, Marce, the whore doesn't have the guts. Come here, come here, and you'll find out if I have the guts. Michele came around the car, and I began to cry. And she's actually scratched his skin with this knife. Um, mm -hmm. And the guys just sort of say, come on, apologize, and they back off. But, but the, the violence, and it's violence in defense of Elena, I don't know, I... I I have this. In, I had this in the notes, and I'm not even sure why I wanted to talk about it, except just that it was typical of the kind of, the kind, the intensity of the friendship and the kind of back and forth as well. Well, and just the rashness of she yeah. did that without probably even thinking. She, yeah. And then the rashness of her deciding, let's go skip school and go do this, but then all of a sudden, halfway there, she decides she wants to turn around and. Uh, we can get into later on when she, just, uh, when it comes to boys, you know, she comes up with very rash, quick decisions that she may later regret. And, uh, yeah, like, like getting married at 17. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, that could yeah. be it. Yeah. But they, they, she always, but Elena was always talking, and this one I really wanted to ask you about is the dissolving margins. Yeah. Um, yeah. She said that Leela always had a sensation she called dissolving margins, although it had come on her distinctly only once before, it wasn't completely new to her. For example, she often had the sensation of moving for a few fractions of a second into a person or thing or a number or a syllable, violating its edges. And I'm wondering if that is Elena's way of explaining why Leela had such a way with words and that she, when she wrote, she could actually visualize everything that Leela 
was writing about. And in fact, she even, that issue of the copper pot that exploded for mm-hmm. no reason. I mean, thing, things around her were always dissolving or not dissolving or exploding. Or it, it, She had a very strange aura. <laughs> yeah, well, I just thought of that as, as a, a minor, um, kind of a minor mental illness as a result of the, the various pressures under which uh, Leela was living. But you, you've, put a, you've put a different perspective on it when you say that maybe her, her sensibilities, her perception, her ability to connect, to, to experience her, to have her experience rawly and directly also influenced her ability to write because she right. does... She does uh, I really right, do think well. that, like she said, the day her father threw her out the window, she had felt absolutely certain as she was flying towards the asphalt that small, very friendly reddish animals were dissolving the composition of the street, transforming it into a smooth, soft material. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's other times when she felt different things like that, that yeah. when uh, Elena heard about it or read about it from her writing yeah. really absorbed it and realized that uh, she was she could really write about her own truth, whether it was somebody else's truth. I think that's, I think, that, yeah. I think you've put, put your finger on something that, that uh, Leela is so close to. It, I, I like the idea that Leela helps Elena write about her own truth so that, you know. Uh, and maybe that, that goes with, uh, you want to talk about the, the, what is really the climactic scene between them, which is very much more intimate <gasps> oh, than they've been. When she's um, bathing her for yeah, the wedding? Uh, oh, my goodness. It, yeah, and I get the what feeling... What a scene. Yeah, I get the feeling that it's, it's some kind of custom or something because nobody mm-hmm. seems to think that yeah, it's... Yeah, I think you're right. It's weird that you get your, you get your friend to, d- to bathe you and help you dress um, before the wedding. But uh, she says, I, I had never seen her naked. I was embarrassed. Today I can say that it was the embarrassment of gazing with pleasure at her body, of being the not impartial witness of her 16-year-old's beauty a few hours before Stefano touched her, penetrated her, disfigured her perhaps by making her pregnant. At the time it was just a tumultuous sensation of necessary awkwardness, uh, and this is one of the rare times when Elena contrasts her, her perspective now with her perspective then. Um, but she said... I had a confusion of thoughts and feelings. Embrace her, weep with her, kiss her, pull her hair, laugh, pretend to sexual experience, which uh, I presumably neither of them have at this point, and instruct her in a learned voice, distancing her with words, just at the moment of greatest close, uh, greatest closeness. But in the end, it was the only the hostile thought that I was washing her from her hair to the soles of her feet early in the morning, just so that Stefano could sully her in the course of the night. I imagined her naked, and and so on. So, uh, it's uh, is this part of their ambivalence about men? Um, yeah, I, I read a couple of reviews where some people thought that they might have had a more of a relationship of attraction mm-hmm. with each other, but I, I'm not seeing it at this early of a stage. But well, uh, yeah, but I don't know. I mean, you. <clears throat> If you love somebody, you love their, in our coast of them, you love their physical presence, you know, and mm-hmm. she 
has not has never seen her naked, and that's. Uh, but I, yeah, I agree with you. But to go, oh, this is a lesbian relationship. Uh, yeah, I know, thought that was being too but easy. In, and it is in this moment that we find that our assumptions about the title get flipped over, right? You know, you read the whole book, as we, as we both did, and I imagine most readers do, and you think that my brilliant friend is Leela, that Elena is writing about, but in fact, uh, in this scene, right, right before she starts bathing her, um, she says, um, uh, Leela says to Elena, don't ever stop. I'll give you money. You should keep studying. Um, and Leela is actually in high school, which is something of an achievement for, for this neighborhood. Um, I gave a nervous laugh and then said, thanks, but at a certain point school is over. Not for you. You're my brilliant friend. You have to be the best of all boys and girls. I love that because I did think that my brilliant friend was Leela until that particular, even though I knew Leela admired Elena, I didn't realize that was who the book was talking about. Yeah, why do you think she does that? Or do you have, I mean, she, Elena, uh, and of course we do notice the, that she names the protagonist after her own pseudonym. So it really seems like, right. okay, this is, this is my story and not my story. Well, I think Leela um, admires Elena, and Elena has a uh, a sense of centerness that Leela doesn't have. Leela's rash and brash and yeah. off and running, and, and Elena is very studious and very uh, more straightforward. Um, but I did find a passage that I was talking about with the uh, writing. Uh, yeah. Uh, the, she got a letter from uh, Elena, and I mean, Elena got a letter from Leela, and I tore open the envelope. There was five closely written pages, and I devoured them, but I understood almost nothing of what I read. It may seem strange today, and yet it really was so. Even before I was overwhelmed by the contents, what struck me was the writing contained Leela's voice. Not only that, from the first lines, I thought of the Blue Fairy, the only text of hers that I had read apart from our elementary school homework, and I understood what, at the time, I had liked so much. The same quality that struck me now. Leela was able to speak through writing unlike me when I wrote. Unlike Saratori in his articles and poems, unlike even many writers I had read and was reading, she expressed herself in sentences that were well-constructed and without error, even though she was had stopped going to school, but Further, she left no trace of effort. You weren't aware of any artifice of the written word. I read and saw her. I heard her. The voice set in the writing overwhelmed me, enthralled me even more than when we talked face to face. It, it, oh, yeah. It was just, I love that. Yeah. yeah that's, it gives me chills. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, that's beautiful. And there is a lot in here about the value of writing and expression. I'm going to I'm going to give us a break now, uh, and then we can talk about, as I say, I, we both had misgivings about the novel, Mine Stronger Than Yours, so we can talk about that, but after this break. On the radio, this is the Sweet Honey Bear Blues on Tuesday at 8 o'clock till 10 o'clock. You got me giving you what you just didn't know you needed.
Bookmarked is brought to you in part by the Whitlive Collections. Subscribe to our email list today and stay in the know about all the great events, exhibitions, and news happening at the finest collection of literary, photography, and music holdings in the Southwest. The Whitlift Collections is free and open to the public. We're located on the seventh floor of the Alkeck Library at Texas State University. For more information, please contact us at thewhitliffcollections.txstate.edu. Welcome back to Bookmarked on, on KZSM 104.1 FM and kzsm.org, your true community radio station, where uh, we are talking with Gary Borden about Elena Ferrante's novel, uh, My Brilliant Friend, the first of the Naples Tetralogy. Uh, and I have to say, I did not particularly... There are many powerful things about this novel, the depiction of the friendship, the, you know, the, it's, and it's, it's admirable in many ways, but I have to admit, I didn't particularly enjoy it. Uh, I found it bleak and joyless uh and and i and i started try and i try i'm trying to analyze why but i don't i don't know if i fully make sense but in a lot of novels even harrowing novels even i mean the last and actually you can hear if you stay tuned after this broadcast you you will hear a discussion of uh, demon copperhead by barbara kingsolver which also has a first person narrator disadvantaged protagonist coming of age, um, but which I did not find joyless particularly, even though both, both novels share, you know, harrowing things, poverty. In Demon Copperhead, the, 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 uh, the protagonist's mother dies of a drug overdose and, you know, all kinds of awful things happen. Um, but I find that in, in, no, in many novels like that, like Demon Copperhead, the narrators gain some agency over what happens to them by the way it's told. And, and actually, this bears on what you were just saying, Elena, Elena talking about how Leela brings things, can bring things to life and that she can't. And maybe that's even she, Elena, the writer of this novel. I mean, the things, things are described vividly, but the description, partly the child's point of view, I suppose, gives the, the, the writer no power, no agency over what is being described. Um, and I, I have a passage here. This is, um, this is and I, I had originally uh, pinpointed this as a description of what they shared on their friendship, you know, but but it's also some, kind of touches on what I'm talking about. Um, they're talking about discussing people in the neighborhood, you know. We were 12 years old, but we walked along the hot streaks, streets of the neighborhood amid the dust and flies that the occasional old trucks stirred up as they passed, like two old ladies taking the measure of lives of disappointment, clinging tightly to each other. No one understood us. Only we two, I thought, understood one another. Uh, there was something unbearable in the things, in the people, in the buildings, in the street that only if you reinvented it all, as in a game, became acceptable. The essential, however, was to know how to play, she and I, and only she and I knew how to do it. 
I underline that as well. I, I thought that was really interesting. I, I hear what you're saying, but I mean, it is a very bleak novel, but I haven't read the, the one you were talking yeah. about. Uh, but uh, I don't think that people necessarily have power over what's going on with them. And to me, it just seemed realistic realism to yeah. me. I, and that didn't bother me so much. I don't know why, but, but she would also talk about things that, well, now that I'm looking at it, maybe it is bleak, but it, to me it didn't seem like so bleak. It almost seems humorous to me, but maybe it's because I know it's not going to last, but she's talking about puberty, and she said, a period of unhappiness began. I got fat, and under the skin of my chest, two hard shoots sprouted. Hair flourished in my armpits and my pubis. I became sad and at the same time anxious. In school, I worked harder than I ever had, yet the mathematic problems almost never gave the result expected by the textbook. The Latin sentences seemed to make no sense. As soon as I could, I locked myself in the bathroom and looked at myself in the mirror, and I no longer knew who I was. I began to suspect that I would keep changing until from me my mother would emerge, lame with a crossed eye, and no one would love me anymore. I cried often without warning. My chest, meanwhile, became large and soft. I felt at the mercy of obscure forces acting inside my body, and I was always agitated. I just, uh, to me, <laughs> I, I probably is, shouldn't laugh about that. No, but it's it's funny, temporary. You it's, know, you know, if, it's, we've all the probably of recognition. Exactly, but, you know, exactly. Uh, yeah, and that is that is a wonderful passage. You're right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. so I kind of clung to those things. I I think it was uh, Leela who was more depressing to me than Elena. Just because her rashness, I think, is going to be her undoing. I don't know that for sure, yeah, but yeah, I yeah. can guess. So, but Elena, but but my point is that Elena is telling the story, and Elena lacks or only has with in conversation with Leela the, that kind of ability to to step outside of it although in the passage you just read yeah i mean yeah, because it is it is a, it is almost funny and and yet touching at the same time so maybe <laughs> i'm being maybe i'm being too hard on it i don't know i just uh, it, it just seemed in some ways flat to me i mean okay uh talk about something about school i mean they compete a lot in school School is really important, and, and it's complicated by poverty. School costs money. Their parents often don't have it. There are arguments in families, send me to send them to school, don't send them to school, we need them at home, uh, mm -hmm. and this happens. Um, they compete in school first, as I mentioned. Leela is reading at about age three or something like that, that she apparently has taught her we don't quite know how she's learned, but she seems to have almost taught herself. Right. Um, Elena succeeds and is at least going to finish high school, and I assume in the tetralogy she probably goes on. Uh, Leela gets married. Um, I also thought that the depiction of school was kind of bleak and joyless in that, um, you know, you again, you read a coming-of-age novel, and since it's a coming-of-age novel, 
by a writer, naturally he or, he or she talks about the experience of language and of acquiring language and of learning to love books and of wanting to read and all of that. You know, you've read a, a gajillion novels like that, yes, right? Right. Yes. Okay. I mean, but I um, think maybe that's why I like this one because it was a little because bit it was different. different. Yeah. Uh, because I mean, they they study. They work hard, but there's never, oh, I read this passage and I thought it was beautiful. No, it's just I studied Latin. Oh, I tried to, oh, I passed Latin. I did well. But they, oh, did, have, well. But they did have a goodwill hunting kind of character in that the uh, Maestra Oliviera, mm-hmm. Oliviero, uh, and she helped them by getting them books and yeah. uh, was really encouraging and but she really got, uh, the maestra got really uh, turned off by Lila. At first, it seemed so promising. And then as Lila grew older, she grew very beautiful, almost too beautiful for her own good. And the men were all noticing her, and she started realizing that maybe using her looks was a lot easier way to get out of things yeah. Her than uh, studying, and uh, there was a passage where the maestra, the teacher, said, uh, she, she said something that I will always remember, this is Elena talking, the beauty of mind that Cerullo, meaning uh, Lila, had from childhood didn't find an outlet. And it had all ended up in her face, in her breasts, in her thighs, in her ass, places where it soon fades and it will be as if she never had it. Mm. And so... Yeah, and then there's... That's so sad. And then there's this moment when uh, uh, Leela goes to invite the maestra to her wedding, and the maestra says, I don't know this girl. I don't know this girl, yeah. You know, which is really... Because she threw it all away. But I don't necessarily think she threw it all away. Her parents were not supporting her at all in her wanting to go to school. And even though Elena's parents didn't feel like they had the money to do it, they were impressed by the maestra, and so yeah, she the suggested would come and it. bully them into yeah, the the peer pressure. Or, they felt like they had out. to. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, That's, uh, but it seems. You know, <clears throat> there's, there's just a. My point is just that there's not much joy in. I mean, they get, they get to read Little Women, they find it wonderful, but we don't get anything like, oh, I identified with Joe, or oh, you know. It's just, it was our book, we loved it. And they almost talk about it like it's the, the physical book that they treasure, you know, because it's their possession, rather than so much identifying with the characters or anything like that. And Maybe they like, couldn't identify with the characters. Yeah, but they, then why did they love the book? Maybe you know? it's like you're saying, just the physicalness of having a yeah, book. Yeah, but that's, that's, to me, that's sad, you know. Yeah. Uh, we, don't, we don't have that. That experience, or if 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 they are imagined as having that experience, it doesn't get on the page of the of the novel. Uh, there's not really much joy in in intellectual pursuits or in reading or anything like that, and that may be sad. <laughs> language, language, and dialect. You know, I mean, she's always saying, noting whether someone is speaking dialect or standard Italian. Did you notice that? And I wondered what you made of it. Well, I definitely did. And uh, But I think that 
if you know a little bit about history of Italy, there are so many city-states that didn't get consolidated into a country until the late 1800s. So they each had their own little place and their own little dialect, not just an accent like in other places, but a whole yeah. dialect. And they're very proud of their history and their neighborhoods and their... Yeah. Uh, so I can see why there might be that. Yeah, but the dialect is kind of low. Well, here's here's one example. I mean, this is um, uh, Elena and Lila are trying to uh, convince uh, Rino, uh, Lila's brother, that she, they should accept an invitation to a party with some people who used to be their enemies because maybe this is going to be, you know... Uh, uh, from this moment, we take note of that and show that we children are better than they, their quarreling fathers, were. Better, I said, the complete opposite of the Solaras, who are worse than their grandfather and their father. I spoke with great excitement in Italian, as if I were in school. Lila herself gazed, glanced at me in amazement, and Rino, Pas Pasquale, and Antonio muttered embarrassed. Pasquale even tried to answer in Italian, but he gave up. He said somberly, his father made money on the black market, and now Stefano is using it to make more money. His shop is in the place where my father's carpenter shop was, which is the <laughs> kind of thing that they talk about all the time. Uh, but she goes into Italian school language when she's trying to persuade him to behave differently or to see the neighborhood in a different way. And that fascinated me. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but apparently you can't carry on an intellectual conversation in dialect, or at least uh, Elena doesn't think so. You know, um, she, she's talking about, again, later about her, her friendship with her friend Alfonso. Um, he was a diligent student. Um, but when I tried to talk to him about uh, certain books, he merely listened and out of timidity or ignorance never said anything that would inspire me to further thoughts. Besides, while in school he used a good Italian, when it was just the two of us he never abandoned dialect, and in dialect it was hard to discuss the corruption of earthly justice as it could be seen during the during the lunch at the house of Don Rodrigo, or the relationship between God, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus, who, although they were a single person when they were divided in three, I thought necessarily had to have a hierarchy, and then who came first and who last? You can't talk about that in dialect. <laughs> well, I just wonder if it's, you know, young people when they talk, or even when I was younger and I talked, I, I had a written voice that I used, and I had my street talking voice and I could switch back and forth fairly easily because I was lucky I went mm -hmm. to school and to college but I, maybe other people could not and that's a way to surely recognize somebody even in America today people will argue well that's a social stigma to to uh, say that everybody has to have uh, proper English, you know, there's kind of a 
movement now where people go, well, that's the way people talk. That's the way. Yeah. And, and should be, 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 there's the people should speak you, properly and that, but that's that's kind of going away. And right. It's, people should express themselves, however. But here, I mean, you could almost go through and, and you know, if you were writing a paper about it and analyze what are the moments when someone speaks dialect or when she points out that they are or are not speaking dialect and what difference it makes. Like the, the moment that we looked at it a while ago where Leela uh, threatens the, uh, the Solara brothers with the, sh the shoemaker's knife. Right, right. And, she, it, and Elena tells us that Leela is speaking dialect in that moment. Right. You know. Uh, well, being, I would think violence would probably yeah. come under the dialect yeah. a lot easier yeah, than in the proper. Yeah. That'd be like Neapolitan, all right. That would be right. like somebody in proper English going, "I hope you don't mind if I put this blade against thy throat." You know? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. Let's see. In four minutes, we can talk about the the end is uncertain. Uh, Leela has just gotten married but we don't exactly know what her future is going to be like uh, because of an, an odd. And then there's the whole question of the shoes. Adolescent, the whole second section is called the story of the shoes, which we don't have time to talk about much, but uh, Leela's father is a shoemaker and she and her brother Reno design and make a pair of men's well, shoes. Well, actually, Leela designed it. Yeah. Reno didn't. Yeah, and we don't know. The shoes symbolize upward mobility. I keep thinking, if you read your way through the tetralogy, they're probably going to be Ferragamo or... I or, was wondering or, that, or, too. Jimmy Choo or, yeah, or something yeah. like that. You know, uh, Yeah, I was kind of... I kept expecting that, but it didn't happen here. Uh, they designed the shoes. Uh, Reno wants to show them to the father. Leela says no, they're not ready, and they finally do it, and there's this horrible, horrible scene in which the father praises the shoes sarcastically and right. then kicks his son in the behind, literally, uh, because he thinks they're inferior. Uh, every Marcello who wants to marry Leela wants the shoes. She hides them from him because she doesn't want to marry him. Stefano buys the shoes, and he does marry her. And invests in their shoe company. And he invests in their shoe company, you know, I mean, sort of that's the, I mean, there's a whole lot about upward mobility, you know. Trying to, anyway. Trying to, yeah, yeah you know. Uh, do you have any shoes, shoe thoughts? Well, that part was a little puzzling to me, especially, I don't want to ruin the ending, but mm. I, I, or do, do you mm. think that ruins it? I don't it? think it much, it uh, much, there's, there's a weird thing in the end that, that Marcello winds up with the shoes, but we don't know why. And, we don't and know Marcello how we, used to be uh, her, her Leela's. Yeah, and we don't know how he has acquired them from Stefano. Uh, and uh, you're going to have to read the next Lila part of Because Leela hates the, this man. Yeah, so uh, because Marcello and, and his brother are supposed to be, partly because they're supposed to be mafia and they are kind of crass. Well, and they, they probably sexually assaulted that Ada girl, yeah. you know, and they were driving by in their fancy car, and yeah. and she got attracted. She wanted to ride in the car, and later on they threw her out, and she was upset and yeah. We and we don't know what we don't know what happens, but yeah. that's my guess. Yeah, you know, there's a there's a whole longing. Uh, uh, Elena really kind of longs to escape, and there's 
at the, almost at the very end. And Can you blame is, her? This is, yeah, yeah, she wants to escape. She wants to be upwardly mobile. Uh, and presumably Leela is trying to do, is attempting to do that, but, you know, we wonder, is she going to succeed? Is marrying Stefano really going to make her, you know? Elena's article is not going to get published, and she's sitting, sitting there in her disappointment. I wanted to know that the hard work of school would surely lead upward somewhere, that Maestro Olivero had the right to push me forward and to abandon Lila. Do you know what the, what the plebs are? Yes, Maestro. <laughs> At that moment, I knew what the plebs were much more clearly than when, years earlier, she had asked me. The plebs were us. The plebs were that fight for food and wine, that quarrel over who should be served first and better, that dirty floor on which the waiters clattered back and forth, those increasingly vulgar toasts. That Ooh. was pretty heavy. Yeah. Uh, and I loved the way that when they were talking about how once the bride and the groom have left the ceremony, the reception, how there's probably going to be one huge fight breaking out between mm -hmm. the guests who thought they'd been treated well and the guests that thought they'd been mistreated. <laughs> oh. And I thought, oh, it's all going to start all over again. Uh, well, I think we gave people a good idea of what it's like. Always as I start talking about something, I like it better than Me if, too. <laughs> you know, if I felt alienated when reading it. Any last judgment? I can see why people loved this. Really, it's just a fascinating insight into something I knew really and nothing yeah, about. There's, there's certainly, there's certainly that. I mean, you certainly get a real look at the past and at a completely different environment, and it's very, very valuable for that, and certainly very powerful. Gary, thank you for coming and oh, talking I've enjoyed to me it. again. And as always, thank you for listening. <laughs>